Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. As we wrap up this uh, little series called You Asked For It, uh, where I just kind of fielded some questions through uh, last fall and uh, spent about four weeks here uh, addressing those. And so this morning we wrap up that series and we get ready to dive into the Gospel of Mark next week. Uh, so the, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel um, by, by quite a bit, uh, and yet we're going to be there for a long time. That's all I'm saying. All right? I'm not going to tell you how, we're just a long time. Just, just know, all right? Uh, so, so like over the next, you know, months, where are we going to be? Well, we're going to be in Mark somewhere, okay? That, that's the answer. Um, you know, so, so, so far in this uh, series, you've asked, you asked for it, we, we've looked at walking in the Spirit. What, is it, what does that mean for us? Um, we looked at biblical church leadership. Last week, I uh, addressed the, the gospel and politics, uh, and that's on the website. If you, if, you wanna, if you missed that and you're interested to hear what, what on earth I said about that, uh, it's up on fbcalamo.com. Um, and this morning, simply asking this, what is a disciple? And so in our new logo that, that we put on the front of the bulletin there, you'll see it, it says, First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, making disciples who make disciples. That's all well and good, but it's important for us to define terms. What is a disciple? It's more than a tagline. It's a biblical mandate, right? It's what Jesus called us to do. So this morning, we're simply asking if, if we are uh, to be disciples and if we are to make disciples, then we come this morning to the question, what, is, what, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. We're going to see that in Matthew 4 as Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew's gospel. So if you will, uh, stand with me as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, and this is what the word of the Lord says. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish, I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together and to open up your word. Pray you'll speak to us this morning as we look at this passage out of Matthew and ask, what, it, what does it look like to be your disciple? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to make disciples as well? Do in and through us this morning what only you can do through your word. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Thank you. Now, what we have here, at least in Matthew's gospel, is uh, Jesus meeting these guys. And in Matthew's gospel, it seems like this is the first time they've, they've met. Now, John, uh, in, in his gospel, um, seems to introduce that, that they had at least in, interacted with Jesus earlier than this. So they were familiar with him. 
they knew him. Maybe they had even um, spent some time with Jesus. But we see here clearly in Matthew's gospel that they weren't yet followers of Christ because we see them working at their fishing business, both Peter and Andrew, and then James and John working for their father, Zebedee. So maybe they had, maybe they had met Jesus, maybe they had had some interaction with him before, but they hadn't really become followers of him until this day. What we have in this passage is Jesus walking up and issuing really a radical call to follow after him. For Peter and Andrew, it meant leaving their business behind. Now, we're not, we're not given any mention of, uh, of a father or any other family members for Peter and Andrew, so it's, it's possible at least that they had inherited a family, family fishing business. Perhaps after their father passed away, that's, that's mere speculation, but it's worth noting that the, the way things were done in those days is the, the business was just passed on to the, to the kids. And so here they were doing what they knew, what was comfortable for them, I dare say even maybe what they were good at. And Jesus walks up and issues a simple sentence to them. Follow me, he told them in verse 19. And I will make you fish for people. Now that's intriguing to a fisherman. Kind of wonder what on earth they're thinking about, right? Talking about going out into a crowd of people and just casting a hook and seeing what happens? I mean, depending on the group of people, I'd sign up for that, right? I mean, it, sure, why not? Let's see what happens. Look at verse 20. Immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Leaving their fishing business behind. Now, now at this point, did they know that they would be following Jesus for the next three years? Maybe, maybe not. But there was something in their interaction with Jesus that they had already had. There was something in him that made them immediately leave their boats, leave their nets, and go follow him. Verse 21 says, going on from there. So he walks maybe down the seashore just a little bit farther and finds two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they're out in a boat with their father. And he called them. And again, notice that, ver- that word in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And we said maybe Peter and, uh, Peter and Andrew left the family fishing business that they had inherited. In this case, James and John literally leave the, the family fishing business and their father and follow after Jesus. And you talk about breaking societal norms, going way outside the box of what was expected and what was comfortable, and following Jesus. These men abandoned all to follow after Jesus. And it's interesting that we later see that three of these four, whom Jesus calls in Matthew 4, become 
the three closest friends that Jesus have in the world. Peter, James, and John become what are really kind of known as Jesus' inner circle among his 12 disciples. So we see here that this, this call to follow Jesus is something that, that happens immediately. An encounter with Jesus demands a response. See, they were going to respond one way or the other, whether they ignored him, or they responded indifferently to his call. That is a response. So I say all that is leading up to where we're going this morning to simply say that encountering Christ requires a response on your part. Encountering Christ requires a response on people with whom we share the gospel. You're going to get a response, sometimes a very passionate response. But the call to follow Jesus requires a response. So what is a disciple? Here we go. First thing is simply this, a disciple is a follower. This is maybe immediately noticeable in the way Jesus responds to the disciples. Or the, the, the call that he makes to them, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now, Jesus certainly wasn't the only teacher in the first century to have disciples. In fact, it was, it was common for teachers, for rabbis to have disciples. I think we could even say it was common for um, men in, who worked in some sort of trade to have disciples. People whom they were teaching their trade to carry it on. That was a normal, that was a normal term. And in many cases, the, the disciple would actually go live with the teacher, sometimes from an early age, to learn a philosophy or a trade. And we see this played out, as I said, in Jesus' call, follow me. And you, you know what else I find really interesting here? And by the way, I, so let's just, let me clarify some terms that we see in our culture versus what we actually see in the Bible. Um, if you go and look throughout the New Testament, you're going you're gonna to have to search very hard to find Jesus ever inviting someone to ask him into their heart. But very clearly, we see Jesus calling people to follow him. Now, I know where we get that. We get that language from, from uh, Revelation 3. Uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, stand, if, if anyone invites me in, I'll, I'll come in and dine with him and, and he with me. But what's interesting about that is that that's actually written to a church. That's written to believers who have shut Jesus out. Or at least people who claim to be believers who have shut Jesus out and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm standing here knocking. What, what we see when Jesus encounters un, non-believers, there's never an invitation to ask him into their heart. There's an invitation to follow him. Just find that interesting, the way that our, our cultural Christianity has changed that around a little bit. See, an issue, the, the call that we issue when we share the gospel is to follow Christ to leave behind the life that was before. To become a follower of Christ. 
So to be a Christian then is to be a disciple. There, there, is, there, there is no follower of Christ who is not a disciple. I think we've long made discipleship something extra. Well, well I'll, become a, I'll become a believer and then discipleship is what I do like extra, like to grow deeper in, in the, the Christian faith. Except that to be a follower of Christ is to enter into discipleship, to be a disciple of Christ. We'll talk more about what that looks like in just a minute. But I found it really interesting that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian and um, pastor, a man who was actually involved in the assassination attempt on Hitler's life during World War II and was ultimately... um, hung for treason, um, for, for resisting the, the German government. One, one of the most, I think, one of the most important theologians of the last hundred years. Um, if, you, if, I, if, if you were to ask me who you should read over from the last hundred years, I would, I would give you two names. It would be Bonhoeffer and it would be C.S. Lewis. And Bonhoeffer described following Christ this way. He says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's a laying down of your life to follow after Christ. How, how much different is that from, from a lot of the uh, evangelism that we hear, right? Hey, you want to follow Jesus? That's cool. You willing to die? Are, are you willing to lay down everything that you know in order to follow after him? We don't, we don't hear that much in churches, right? Like, hey, listen, you, you want to really follow after Christ, what are you willing to give up to follow him? Are, are, are we willing to surrender to become a follower of Christ? Are we willing to leave nets at the shore and maybe even a father in a boat to follow after Christ? But look at the promise in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, in John's gospel, the, the images of light and dark are, are very important for him. John's gospel, light is always going to represent the things of God and and darkness will always represent the things of the world and the things of the evil one. And here Jesus says, if anyone follows me, will never walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. In other words, in in becoming a a follower of Christ, there's there's a lot of things that we leave behind, but, but hear this, there's oh so much more that we gain. It is a brand new life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that when, when we become followers of Christ, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, meaning that, that old person doesn't even exist anymore. We're a new creation, a new man, a new woman that we could not have even imagined before. We didn't even know possible before. Yes, it's a call to come and die. It's a call to leave nets at the seashore. It's a call even to to leave friends and family to follow after 
Christ. Oh, it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. So disciple's a follower. Secondly, disciple is a learner. Now, in that, the the word learner, I really don't think goes deep enough. Because it's not just the the idea that they're a student or they're a pupil, but rather an adherent. In fact, in in the New Testament, um, Paul Paul even called believers to be imitators of Christ. So it wasn't just, I want to sit in a classroom and learn, but but I actually want to begin um, to live like Jesus lives. I want to begin to teach like Jesus taught. See, if you read the New Testament, Jesus never really had a classroom where he and the disciples went and sat for hours on end. And they pulled out their notebooks and their pens and, and started taking notes. We, we, we don't really see that. That's not the image of, of what it meant to, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a learner of Jesus. They, they learned from him as they followed him. Their, their classroom was life experiences with Jesus. Now, certainly, they saw him teach in formal settings. They saw him teach large crowds. They saw him teach in the temple. They saw him teach in homes. But just as often, maybe even more often, they saw saw him teach and they learned from him as they followed him. They saw how he interacted with sinners, with self-righteous religious leaders, They learned as he walked with them and he would point out to them lessons about the kingdom of God from everyday objects like a vine, like a withered tree. As they looked at the temple. See, to be a learner of Jesus was to be with him. Again, how different is that from how we do things today, where if we want to learn about Jesus, we come to a class, come to a gathered group. And, and again, all, th- th- this is valid, right? I mean, these, we, we see Jesus teaching large groups. We see teach, Jesus teaching small groups in homes. But we also see people walking with him. So as we ask, what does it look like to make disciples who make disciples, what would it look like for us to take, if if you're a believer, what would it look like for you to take a a disciple, take take someone under your wing to show them what the Christian life is like? To walk with them through life. This is what Jesus said about being a learner. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, every every teacher, every philosopher had a yoke of teaching, is what they would call it. Their, Their disciples, their learners, 
would, would come under their wing and they would say, here, this is the yoke of my teaching that you have to take on. on. Sometimes it was rather burdensome. Memorize these things. Read about these people. Keep these laws. Don't do these things. Do these things. And Jesus says, come learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest. Now think about that for a second. We, we don't normally um, think of learning and rest in the same, in the same sentence, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, I got in trouble of, about, for resting during learning time. Yet Jesus says, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's a joy to be found in taking on his teaching, becoming a learner of Jesus. Again, you've heard me say this before. Listen, one of the big ways to do this is if you want to become a, a student of Jesus, this is the place to go, right here. In the New Testament, we have the, what's, what was known in, in the early church as the apostles' teaching. Before it was written down as the New Testament, it was known simply as the apostles' teaching in Acts 2. These men who walked with Jesus and recounted what he taught and wrote it down. That's what we have in the Gospels. The record of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. And then the rest of the New Testament is really reflecting on Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. And it's Paul and Peter and John and others who are, who are simply asking, how do we live in light of who Jesus was? How does his life affect our lives? Listen, 2,000 years later, we're still asking that question, still wrestling with it, and still discovering how Jesus' life affects our lives. There's nothing else, no other spiritual discipline. I mean, listen, there, there are good books. We're, we're blessed with, with a ton of good resources today. In fact, I, I would argue that right now there are probably more books being written about who Jesus is. We have more Resources at our fingertips than at any point in history. And yet nothing compares to this. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, I have two tips for you. Read your Bible and pray. Well, wait a second. Isn't there like some, some like three-step process? Okay, sure. Read your Bible, pray, and repeat. Okay, there, there. There's your three-step process. Well, it's hard to understand. Yeah, you're right. Some of it is. So get with another group of people. Some, some of that, sometimes we call that Sunday school classes, right? Where, where we sit and we read the Bible and we discuss it. Want another way? Find two or three people. I can give you great recommendations where you can get really good coffee and you can sit down and, and read the Bible and pray together. Repeat. So a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. And here's, here's the last thing I want us to grasp this morning. A disciple reproduces. 
See, in the spiritual life, reproduction is a sign of maturity. It's also a sign of obedience. Now let me ask how well we are doing this. Now, now by we, I don't mean just simply First Baptist Church, Alamogordo. I meant kind of evangelical believers as a whole in the United States. How well are we doing this? How well are we reproducing? I'll let you decide based on these statistics. According to LifeWay Research in, in 2017... The, the most recent year that, that I, I could find statistics for. In 2017, only 2% of believers invited an unchurched person to church. 2%. All right, so, so if we have around 100 people gathered here this morning, including all the kids in the nursery, uh, that means that, that uh, of this group, two people will have invited someone to church last year. Like, man, you, you want to talk about like the easiest form of like a spiritual anything of, of reproducing, uh, hey, come to church with me. And, and, I, would, and I, would, I would extend that out a bit. Come to church with me and I'll take you to lunch afterwards, okay? So there you go. Like, listen, one, one thing I've learned, even if people don't like church, they like food, okay? So if you, if you tack that on, like, come, come, come to church with me and I'll buy you lunch, that, that's, that's it. And then, by the way, at lunch, discuss. So what did you think about that weird preacher guy and, and what he said? Only 2%. I think get this one. I think, I think this one shocked me more, believe it or not. Only 7% of churchgoers consistently spend time building relationships with non-Christians for the purpose of sharing Christ with them. Only 7%. Now, again, so I asked how we're doing, what kind of grade we'd get. Uh, if you take a test and you score 2% and 7%, um, that's an F. That's like an F minus, right? I mean, that, that's, that's bad. We have a reproduction problem. But that's not all. On average, more than 2.3 million people leave evangelical churches every year. So that's, that's not just Southern Baptists, although our numbers are, are like like many others, we're trending downward in attendance as, as a whole. More than 2.3 million people leave evangelical churches every year. So not only are we not multiplying, not only are we not reproducing, but we're not retaining either. That's a problem. In an increasingly secular culture, that's a big problem. So what do we do about it? Well, we can look at the statistics and, and cry, oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? Oh, the atheists are winning. Our culture's getting so bad. What on earth can we do about it? Man, my neighborhood's so lost. I sure wish somebody would come and tell them about Jesus. Man, school systems are awful. Parents are terrible. Right? Listen, our, our, our culture is so bad. Who's going to do something about it? Well, what are you going to do about it? Because here's what Jesus has commanded us. Matthew 28. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. We're going to look at it again and, and, and again and again and again and again because th th these were, again, these were Jesus' last words 
on earth. Those are, those are important, right? Like if, if you're getting ready to leave, the, the last things that you say are going to be remembered. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We talked about this a few weeks ago and, and how oftentimes we put the emphasis in this passage on go. Go, therefore. We've raised up missionaries and sent them around the world obeying the command to go. And that's, that's important. But that's not the imperative. That, that's not the, the, the crux on which this passage hangs. The, the crux on which this passage hangs is the two words, make disciples. Make disciples. That's the imperative in this passage. Going is a part of it. What do we do when we make disciples? Well, we baptize them. Step one. Teach them. Disciples are learners. Teach them to follow. Teach them to learn from Christ. Teach them to reproduce. Believing all the while that that promise of Jesus in the last sentence. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And finally, 2 Timothy 2.2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and, tell, and, and commanding him here, or encouraging him to be a reproducing pastor. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We've talked about this before too, but... In, in this single verse, Paul is looking towards his spiritual great-grandchildren. Paul, uh, Paul says, Timothy, I've passed this on to you. There's the first generation. I want you to pass it on to others. Two. Who will be able to teach others also. Paul, Timothy, faithful men who will teach others also. As we wrap up, at the beginning of the year, I called us to four objectives. And these were that in 2020, I, I challenged us to baptize 20 people. I said that in, in order to do that, one of the ways we were going to do that was to have an increased focus on our neighborhood, on the 1,500 people who live within a half mile of our front doors. Those are our local initiatives. I said we want to give $10,000 total in missions offerings between Annie Armstrong for uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Mission New Mexico, right here in, in the, all that money stays right here in the state. And then Lottie Moon, which goes to international missionaries like the Ratliffs we read about this morning in Thailand.
That's one way we can be involved in ministry well beyond Alamogordo and taking the gospel throughout New Mexico around the United States to the ends of the earth. And then finally, I called us to develop an, a partnership with an international mission board missionary. I have a meeting tomorrow with another pastor in our association who's already been in, in touch with missionaries from New Mexico who are serving in Paris. I just wanted to pick his brain, see what, what, what he's learned from them, and call us to pray. And, and once I get a little bit more information, I'm going to call us to pray and see if that's where maybe the Lord's leading us as, uh, as our two churches and to, to invite others along to, to develop a partnership in Paris. Work on building that partnership this year and then 2021 taking a trip to go serve alongside. So the first two are, are where we start, right? You, you, you want to start making disciples? The, I don't think the, the answer to that is, cool, let's, we want to be about evangelism, right? Let's hop on an airplane and go across the world. No, I think it starts here. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Beginning Wednesday, March 4th, that's the first Wednesday night in March, about three weeks away, we're going to do a six-week evangelism training on Wednesday nights. And that's going to take us right up to Easter Sunday, the, the Wednesday night before Easter Sunday. So let me encourage you. You're going to hear more about this as we get closer, but let me encourage you to do this. Clear your Wednesday night calendar and join us. We're going to learn a really simple tool to share the gospel with friends, with relatives, with neighbors, with strangers in Walmart, wherever. Okay, Real, really simple. And, and listen, we're, let me be clear. This is a training. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just we're going to come and gather around and learn this cool tool and, and great. That's it. Um, and then put it in our back pocket and never use it. No, it's, it's a training It's not just a Bible study. There will be teaching, yes. There will be practice. And then, get this, there will be weekly assignments to use this. And, and when you come back the next week, it's going to be asked, so how, how did you do this? How, how, did, how did it go? How did those conversations happen? Now, if you're here and that's like making you kind of shudder, well, I, I've, I've got two things for you, okay? First of all, there's going to be a lot of us that are in the same boat. And you've got three weeks to pray. <laughs> Let me encourage you, beginning March 4th, for six weeks, it goes up through April 8th, March 4th through April 8th, six Wednesday nights. We challenge you to be in our fellowship hall, six o'clock on those Wednesday nights, to take part in an evangelism training. And begin praying now that God would bring people into your life, that you would cross paths with folks who need to hear the gospel. And here's what I would love to see. Listen, I'm, I'm not about to tell God what to do, but let me, let me just share my, my heart with you. I would love to see us begin our Easter Sunday celebration 
with baptisms. Folks who've come to know Christ because we have faithfully are carrying out the Great Commission. So here's the question before us this morning. Are you a disciple? That's, that's the first one. Are you a disciple? Have you become a follower of Christ? A follow-up question to that is, if, if you'd say yes, then, then have you been baptized? Have you taken that first step of obedience as a follower of Christ? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some folks in this room who would say, you know, I, I know I've, I've come to know Christ. I know I'm a follower of his, but I've never taken that first step of believer's baptism. If that's you, I'd love to visit with you in just a few moments. Show you what baptism means, what we believe about it. And then get it on the calendar for you to come and, and be baptized as a testimony to a church, as a testimony to a watching world that you are a follower of Christ. Maybe you'd say, yes, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. I know, I know I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. I've been baptized. And are you a learner? Are you growing deeper in your knowledge of and your relationship with Christ? As, as that one definition said, are you an adherent? Are you, a, are you an imitator of Christ? And the last one is this. Are you reproducing? That's what I want us to focus on this year. How can we be reproducing as followers of Christ? Last summer, we went through a series called Who's Your One? And in fact, still on our bulletin board back here, we have a list of names that, that we as a church identified. People within our, uh, our network of relationships as a church who don't have a relationship with Christ. How can we be sharing the gospel with them? Reproducing as followers of Christ. I'm so excited to be your pastor. I'm so excited to see what the Lord does in and through us this year as, as we're simply obedient to the Great Commission, to making disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the chance to gather and to open up your word. And I pray, first of all, I pray if there's anyone in the, in the room that has not come to trust in Christ yet, that today's the day that they would repent of sins and trust in you as Lord and Savior. Taking that first step to become a follower of Christ. Pray if there's anyone in the room who's, who's come to know Christ and would say, yes, I am a follower of Christ, but has not been baptized, that, that today's the day they take that step and say, I want to I make that right. I want to take that first step of obedience to follow Christ. I want to declare to the world that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And finally, that all of us who claim the name of Jesus would be 
reproducing. We would be seeking to share the gospel as we have opportunities. And I pray for the evangelism training that we're going to do. That you would produce in us boldness. You would help us to overcome fear. That you would awaken us, uh, open up our eyes to the, the people already in our lives who don't know Christ. Who desperately need that relationship with him. Then that we'd be faithful witnesses to share the gospel and to help them grow in their relationship with Christ so that we might be like Paul called Timothy to be, entrusting what we know to others who can teach others also. Help us to do that. Give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us the wisdom. Give us the words. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.